um, you're probably already groaning. But we're going to take a look at this in a little bit different perspective. Joshua 11 and Joshua 12 are very informational chapters. These are kind of sum-up chapters. And really what you have here in Joshua 11 and Joshua 12 is kind of the final, if you will, information, all the battles that Joshua went through. Once you get past that, they start dividing up the land, and that takes a few chapters here through the rest of Joshua. But as we go through Joshua 11 and 12, there's two main points I want to bring out. Because there's really a list here of all the kingdoms that they defeated and all the kings that were taken care of and all the areas that was conquered. Very important information because this is the area of where the Lord wanted Israel to be and the fight that comes with that. But with that being said, there's really two main things I'm going to bring out about this. Now the first one is kind of just a fun one here. Look at verse 21, if you will. And we're going to come back and pick some of this up here, but I want to start out a little differently. Look at verse 21 of Joshua 11. It says, At that time Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debar, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of children of Israel. Now that's kind of an interesting thing. That word Anakim literally means long necks. Now we're not talking about dinosaurs here, but literally means long necks. Go to chapter 12, look at verse 4. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants. Now, the giants. This is kind of an interesting thing here. We're dealing with literal giants. Now, generally on Sundays, we wouldn't be able to get into detail like this, but Wednesday we can have a little bit of fun. If you're taking notes, just write down these references. This guy, Og, according to Deuteronomy 3, Og's bed was 13 foot long and 6 foot wide. 13 foot long and 6 foot wide. These people were literal giants. That's what they were. They were literally giants. And there's some interesting Hebrew here when you get into the words of what these words mean of uh, giants in verse 4 and long necks there in verse 21. And if we had more time and we could really get into the Hebrew stuff, it's a fascinating little study here on what it means for them to be giants. But it's a fascinating thing to look at. So this guy Og was a giant. Bed 13 foot long, at least 6 foot wide. With that being said, it's kind of an interesting thing that these people were going to go and fight. Because remember, when Israel came into the Promised Land, they wanted to come into the Promised Land, and most of the scouts came back and said, we can't go take these people on. Why? Because they were giants. Now, what were these giants? What were they? Well, it looks like it was an interesting group and race of people. Now, when you think of giants in the Bible, the first guy you think of is always what? Goliath, right? Best we can figure, Goliath was probably at least nine foot tall, if not bigger than that. And if you get into the details of Goliath, I'm just going to throw this out here. According to the Bible, Goliath's armor weighed 125 pounds, and just the tip of his spear alone was 15 pounds. So a little over nine foot tall. Now, that's pretty impressive when you stop and you think about it. I'm about 6'3", so that's not too far off from where I'm at. So, but over nine foot tall, you can see how these would be an intimidating group of people. Now, I find it really interesting because if you look in verse 22, none of the Anakim, giants, long necks, were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza and Gath and in Ashdod. Does anybody remember from 1 Samuel 17 where Goliath was from? He was from that area. He was from Gath and Gaza. So it's kind of an interesting thing here that there was this race and this line and this group of giants that caused havoc for the nation of Israel, and they had to be going and defeated, and that's what was in this area there. Yeah, Curly. Do you think the children of the sons of Israel were the 
Well, I was hoping no one would answer that question because I really didn't want to get into that. Um, but if you study out, when you go back to the flood and you start getting into Genesis chapter 6, there is some really interesting stuff in there about what was going on in the earth. And there is some people that do believe that possibly that you had some intermixing going on here of things and that the result of this intermixing was some giants. And if you want to study that in Genesis 6, you can. My personal opinion on this is some people say, well, it, what happened was, was the lineage of Seth was, was supposed to be a pure lineage of God mixed in with non-believers. And so since the believers and the non-believers got together, this was the result of it. I don't really buy into that because I know lots of believers and non-believers have got together and had kids and they're not nine foot tall. So I don't understand how that comes into it. Some people believe that this is a deeper thing going on there, and you can study that out in Genesis 6 if you want. It, it, it's a fascinating thing, because when you really look at these people, and you know, for us nowadays, we look at this and say, okay, that's really hard for us to accept. You know, you flip on the television, and you see people that are over seven foot tall playing basketball. I don't know. I, the world records of people, there's people right now living in the world today that's over eight foot tall. So if there was a group of people that had that type of genetics and they had that type of uh, genealogy in them, I don't find that too hard to believe. Plus, if you're jumping back to this time frame, you're jumping back at least 3,000 plus years ago. If you want to get into a little bit of DNA here, the DNA of the world was much more pure at that time versus to what we're having right now. So I think it's quite possible there could have been a lineage of people that was this way, and obviously these people were eventually defeated. We know that uh, Goliath was one of them in verse 22 and also in 1 Samuel 17. We know he was killed, and we know that he had, if I remember correctly, someone correct me if I'm wrong, I think he had five brothers, the Bible said that those were eventually defeated too because they talk about that later on with David, David's men fighting some of the giants of the Philistines. So is there a deeper thing here? Was it something going on as it talks about in Genesis 6 about the sons of God coming down with the ladies of, of men? Could be. Uh, was it Seth's line intermixing with non-believers? I don't really buy that one too awful myself. Or was it just a group of people that had that type of genealogy? And obviously back during Bible times, if you were the biggest and the strongest, well, you became king. You know, we forget this. When Saul became king of Israel, the Bible said he towered. He was a head taller than every other person in Israel. Generally speaking, back then, if you were big, if you were mighty, if you were powerful, well, you got to be the one to make the rules. That's how it worked back then. So it's kind of an interesting thing, and I just want to throw it out there. So if you look at this in verse 21 and 22, the Anakim literally means long necks. Um, they were giants, and I don't have any doubt to believe that they were not literal, physical giants. And like I said, Deuteronomy 3, 13-foot-long bed, 6-foot wide. These were big boys. And these are the ones that scared the nation of Israel. They kept them from going into the promised land, and those giants had to be defeated. So we're going to get to the spiritual application of that, but I wanted to start it out with that interesting little point right there. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about that before we move on with the rest? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And, and that's a really good point. The things that the Bible silent on is sometimes is not that important. Like you said, you call it a cotton candy, and it is. It's a fun thing to chew on. But, you know, I've had a chance to share the gospel with a lot of people, and I've never used these verses to ever spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know there was nine-foot-tall people. It just doesn't work into the gospel message. But it is a fun thing on a Wednesday night to kind of chew on a little bit. And if you're reading through this and you see this word giant, or you see this word, uh, you know, Anakim, you kind of wonder, okay, what is it talking about here? It seems like there's this race of people uh, that descendants were literal giants there. It's a fascinating little thing. So chew on it a little bit there. Anybody else have anything they want to say here before we move on?
Okay, the two things that we're going to talk about tonight, though, the spiritual aspect of this. There's two enemies here that I want to focus on. Now, there's lots of enemies in, in Joshua 11 and 12, lots of enemies, but there's two ones that I find fascinating. The first one is in Joshua 11, and what happens here in Joshua 11, 1 through 3, is these kingdoms come together. You can see it there in verse 1, the king of Hazar, and then he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, the king of Shimron, the king of Ashba. They all get together, and they create this army to come fight Israel. We've talked about that before in the past. That's what they do. They always think we're going to get everybody together, we can get everybody together, and we can defeat God's anointed. It's the same battle plan that Satan has at the Battle of Armageddon. Let's get everybody together. It doesn't work. And we talked about how God actually says this is good. I can take all the kings on one by one, or you all want to get together in a group, I can take you and defeat you one at a time. It works. It comes together. Well, anyway, they get together, look at verse 4. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitudes, with very many horses and chariots. Now jump back a few thousand years ago. Horses and chariots were the main weapons of the time. If you had chariots, it's like going into battle with tanks when they don't got anything else. That was big. The more horses and chariots you had, the more powerful you were. Israel did not have that type of weapon. They didn't. And so what happens is when they come together in verse 5 to fight, Israel gets scared. Verse 6, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. And as we've said numerous times before, well, why would God tell Joshua to not be afraid? Probably because Joshua was afraid. You know, yeah, they got their little group here. Yeah, they're pretty battle-tested by now. AI has been defeated. Jericho has been defeated. This is a pretty big army. Multitudes, as many as the sand on the seashore. We have chariots. We have horses. We have all this coming together. How are they supposed to defeat this? And how are they supposed to win this battle? How are they supposed to be the ones to finally take this on? You know, it's kind of fascinating that God has already taken care of this. Jump back, if you will, to the book of Deuteronomy. Let's talk about this real quick. Deuteronomy. Let's actually go to Deuteronomy 20. God has already told them what the battle plan is when this type of stuff comes up. Deuteronomy 20. Go ahead and look here in verse 1. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you're on the verge of the battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight you for you against your enemies to save you. See, God already told them this is going to happen. And when this happens, don't be afraid. Now, why are they not supposed to be afraid? Because Israel has stockpiled horses and chariots? No. Actually, if you're taking notes in Deuteronomy 17, them, don't stockpile horses. Because the problem is, if you stockpile horses, what are you going to do? You're going to trust in your weapons rather than trust in the Lord. We sing that great worship song out here. Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots but we will trust in the name of the Lord. That's actually biblical from Psalm 20, and we're going to get there in a little bit. God said, you are going to face this enemy. This enemy will outnumber you. This enemy will have better weapons than you. This enemy will have horses. This enemy will have chariots. And by the way, you're not allowed to have them. Because if you have them, you're going to trust in them. And God has a history of defeating bigger, larger armies. 
When Egypt came out after Israel, what did Egypt have? Chariots. What happened to those chariots? They're at the bottom of the Red Sea right now. What happened when the army of the Assyrians came and camped around Israel? Well, an angel of the Lord went out and killed 186,000 Assyrians in one night. The point is this. There is going to come a time in life where they were told you're going to be outnumbered, you're going to be outgunned, but you're still going to win because God is with you. So here's the first spiritual point. Some of you are coming in tonight. You are outnumbered, you are outgunned, you are overwhelmed. You are facing so many situations, and right now it's really a verse 4. It feels like it's as much as the sand that's on the seashore, and you don't know what to do. You are looking into the eyes of the enemy. They outnumber you. They're stronger than you. They're outgunned by you, and you got nothing. And you feel overwhelmed. You feel like you can't handle it. You feel like you can't take care of it. Well, the verse that you need to remind yourself with, the verse that you need to keep going back to and mark and underline, is Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. See, it's still true today. You're not actually facing enemies. You're not actually facing horses. You're not actually facing chariots. But you've got so many things going on in your life right now, you just can't handle it. There's stress at work. There's stress at home. Finances are tough. You haven't been feeling good for a while. You've got problems with the kids. You've got problems with the spouse. You've got problems with the dog. Fill in the blank. You've got problem after problem after problem after problem. And how many times have we said it out here? If it was just one thing, you could probably handle it. But it's thing after thing after thing after thing, and, and, and you're just done. You can't handle it anymore because while your enemy is as big as the multitude as the sand that's on the seashore, you need to go back and realize God is with you. He will get you through it. He will fight the battle for you. You need to cling to Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. Do not be afraid. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Verse 6 of Joshua 11. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people war with them came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them, and the Lord delivered them. See, God said, I got it covered. But isn't it amazing how overwhelmed we get? We've all been there. And you know, it's just this and this and this. I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle it. You're facing a multitude of an enemy just like Joshua did, and you have to trust that God's going to deliver you from it. Problem is, so often as Christians, when we fight a multitude of enemy, we feel like we have to fight fire with fire. Well, the best way to defeat horses and chariots is to have your own horses and chariots. Well, God says we're not allowed to have horses and chariots. Well, that's not really fair. God says, would you rather have horses and chariots, or would you rather have me? Well, sometimes, let's just be honest, we'd rather have the horses and chariots, because it feels like we're doing something. Problem is, we have to trust the Lord that when he says, I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to take care of you, that he's really going to do it. Flip, if you will, to Psalm 20. Let's take a look at this. Psalm 20. You've got lots of little problems. You've got lots of things that are just adding up. You can't handle one more thing, the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. Well, look at Psalm 20. Psalm 20, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. Selah, remember, once again, means pause. Stop. Meditate on this. Think about it. 
May He grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation in the name of our God. We will lift, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. If you are overwhelmed tonight and you are facing an enemy that outnumbers you and you just can't handle it anymore, Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, and Psalm 20. You have to trust that God is going to get you through it, and you have to trust that even though you are outnumbered and outgunned, God says, I'm on your side. you got nothing to worry about. Now, the flip side to this is the other battle we need to talk about tonight. Because the other battle is not facing an enemy that outnumbers you and outguns you. The other battle is facing one big, giant problem. No pun intended. Joshua 12. Verse 4, the other king was Og, king of Bashan, in his territory. He was of the remnant of the giants who dwelt at Asherah and Eridah. And he reigned over Mount Harriman, over Salka, over Baushan, as far as the border of the Gerashets and the Machathites, and over the calf of Gilead to the border of Silan, king of Heshbon. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered. And Moses, as the servant of the Lord, had given his possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. See, you're not facing maybe a bunch of enemies tonight. you just got one huge thing. You have one huge, major, stumbling block of a problem that you can't get past, get through. It's not that you're fighting numerous problems. You have one major issue in your life, and it is a giant of an issue, and you just can't defeat it. You can't. And I don't know what that issue is. Maybe it's, it's an issue of sin. Maybe it's a battling of drugs or alcohol or pornography or something like that. I don't know. Maybe it's a giant of an issue at work that's been struggling. Maybe it's a giant of an issue of finances, of stress. I don't know what it is, but there's a giant issue that's battling you. And he was like, how do I defeat the giant? Well, go to 1 Samuel 17. How did David defeat the giant? Remember, 1 Samuel 17, you're facing Goliath. Over 9 foot tall, 125 pounds of armor, 15 pounds spear tip. He could literally crush David. David, the little shepherd boy. Now, we all know what happens. David comes in. Israel's scared. Israel says, we can't fight Goliath. David comes in. He says, you know what? I can fight Goliath. And so David comes in, and he miraculously, through God's power, takes the stone with his little sling, and he throws it at Goliath. And he says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Beautiful story, right? David defeats the giant. Now here's the thing. We've already talked about the innumerable army that they had to defeat, as, as many as the sand of the seashore. God says, trust me, I'll do it. Now isn't the same power that God gives David to defeat that giant the same power that God gives us to defeat our giants in our lives? I mean, seriously, isn't it the same? See, but the problem is, giants are intimidating. That's why they're called giants is they are intimidating. It'd be easy if the giant wasn't a giant. I heard a pastor say one time, wouldn't it be nice if all your problems and trials are really trial size? You've seen all those trial-sized little things that you see at Walmart. That's not intimidating. Problem is, when you're facing somebody that's over nine foot tall, whose armor possibly outweighs you, that's a pretty intimidating battle. So how did David defeat it? Well, first off, David defeated him in faith. See, David initially tried to fight fire with fire. If you remember the story in 1 Samuel 17, Saul told, tells David, put my armor on. And you put my armor on, then you can go out and fight. And David says, I can't wear your armor. Your armor doesn't fit me. 
which I think is a good point because, you know, sometimes the way you defeat an enemy is different than the way I defeat an enemy. You know what? Some of you may have struggled with something coming in here tonight. Maybe you have a history of struggling with alcohol. I don't know. That's one that pops up a lot. I know people have struggled with alcohol, and they've struggled with alcohol month after month, year after year after year. I also know people that have struggled with alcohol, but as soon as they got saved, boom, it was just gone for them, just like that. You know what? That battle was won for them miraculously, instantaneously. It doesn't make them any better than the person that still struggles with it. And just because someone won that battle instantaneously doesn't mean that everybody's going to win that battle instantaneously. There's been things in my life where there I've had instantaneous victory, and I'm so thankful for that. There's been other things that I've been saved for 17 years I still struggle with today. The point of it is Saul's armor worked for Saul. Saul's armor didn't work for David. What works for you may not work for me and vice versa, but there's still the underlining basis of Scripture that we have to work with. So what works for David? Well, David worked with five stones and a whole lot of faith. So David swings it. He knocks David, look the giant down. Look at verse 49. Then David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So the stone sank into the forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Now that's pretty cool. Here's the problem with giants, though. Giants have a tendency, once they get knocked down, to do what? Stand back up. See, stay in 1 Samuel 17. Jump back to verse 34. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I called it by its beard and struck and killed it. See, here's the thing. Some of you have moments of victory against a giant. The lamb is in the mouth, you deliver the lamb, and you strike it. Problem is, that lion or bear gets right back up again. And then you don't know what to do. I've already knocked it down once. It's back up. And then it turns into, oh, woe is me, I can't defeat this problem, there's not enough strength, I don't know what to do, I have victory over this problem for a little bit, I knock it down and it gets right back up again. Well, what happens when it gets back up again? Well, next thing you need, you knock it down again. See, sometimes you have instantaneous victory with one sling of the sword. That problem is defeated and it's done and it's gone. Thank the Lord for that. There's other time you knock the lion down and the lion gets right back up. Well, you knock the lion down again, he gets right back up. That's just what happens sometimes. Well, what would have happened if David would have stopped after he delivered the lamb the first time, knocked down the lion, and then said, I can't do it again? No, he took care of it. He says, I'm going to fight this thing a second time. See, let's go back to now to Goliath. Well, we finished in verse 50 that David took care of Goliath. But David went one step further. Verse 51, the therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. See, some of you need to knock the giant down and then you need to jump on top of that stupid thing and kill it and take its head off. So often we just knock down the giant and we think we won. I tell you, sometimes the giants get back up again. You need to decapitate that thing. And you have to do that sometimes in faith. You have to say, Lord, I am done with this battle. I'm done with this problem. And yes, I've had a, a moment of victory over this giant that I'm facing. Sometimes you need to jump on that giant, take your sword out, and just take its head off. Now, that's kind of a gross picture there in verse 51. But I have to be honest with you. One of my favorite pictures I've ever seen of the Bible is this little young shepherd boy of David holding this big, huge head and blood dripping from the bottom of it. I, and I love that picture because that is a picture a victory. So often we see David, when David is presented in cartoons and movies, it's very, very bloodless. 
Little boy, nine foot tall, sling the sling, and boom, guy falls down, and next thing you know, the story's over. No, the story was over when his head was cut off. When did the Philistines flee? When they saw little shepherd boy David pick up the guy's head. And I just want to remind some of you, if you are facing a huge giant in your life, and you feel like you keep knocking that giant down again and again and again, and the giant keeps getting back up, how about you cut its head off? And how do you cut its head off? With the sword. See, David knocked down the giant without a sword. But to finally have full victory and know that Goliath was not getting back up again, he needed a sword. What is the sword a picture of in the Bible? It's the picture of God's Word. I firmly believe that through our own strength, we can knock down a giant every now and then. Problem is, we don't have enough strength to defeat a giant. I know people that have struggled with certain addictions, once again, be it drugs, be it alcohol, be it uh, lusting, be whatever. They can have moments of victory over it, but they can't have a full victory over it until they get the sword of the Spirit in their hand and God's Word, and they say, I'm really ready to kill this giant. And that's what you have to do sometimes. So I don't know what you're facing tonight. You may be facing the innumerable enemy that overwhelms you, outnumbers you, and you don't know what to do. You need to focus on Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. You need to focus on Psalm 20, saying God is with you, and no matter how many enemies you face, he will defeat them. You may be facing one huge giant. Then you need to say that one huge giant can only be taken down in faith and in God's word, and I have to realize that sometimes that giant gets back up again. And I just need to keep knocking them down again and again in God's word and God's strength. That's the picture that we see from 1 Samuel 17 here. So there's a lot of fights in your life. And I don't know why it is, but as Christians, we don't want to get into the fight. Guys, if you really want to serve the Lord with everything you got, you're going to get beat, you're going to get battered, you're going to get bruised, and you're going to get bloodied. That's just the way it is. And we have to realize in our Christian walk, there's a lot of fights that we have to go through. But when you stay strong and you stay strong in God's power and might, he's the one that gets you through it. And we see that here in Joshua 11 and also in Joshua 12. Does anybody have any final things I want to say about this here before we go ahead and close up with a word of prayer? Rose. Sometimes the giant is self. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing. You brought up a good point there about uh, sometimes the giant itself. David could defeat a nine-foot-foot-plus-tall monster of a man, but probably a five-foot-four woman bathing took down a whole kingdom in David. And so sometimes those giants are a lot smaller <laughs> than what we think. And, and you bring up a good point there, Rose. David was victorious against Goliath, but when David got his eyes off the Lord and on himself and his own desires, that's when David fell. And he fell big time. John? Yeah. Saul started out good. We, we forget that. You know, we like to pick on Saul a lot, but Saul started out good. But when pride got the best of Saul here in the next chapter, in chapter 18, and Saul started rushing God, that's when God says, I'm, I'm pulling it away from you. Yeah, Saul was one of those guys, too. They got his eyes too much on himself. Anybody else got anything they want to say before we close up? Yeah, surely. It would be a lot easier to have faith if we need to know. But by definition of faith, faith is you don't know how it's going to turn out. And, and I think to me, that's one of my favorite stories here in the Bible is David because that's a lot of faith. <laughs> I don't know how tall David was. 
you know, it is quite possible David was still a teenager at this time, a very young man. I mean, you're dealing with a four-foot height differential here. I mean, it's just so utterly absurd. A boy with a slingshot and a stone going up against a nine-foot-plus-tall man with 125 pounds of armor whose spear was 15 pounds itself. I mean, it's just... That's why even the secular world uses the phrase of a David and Goliath battle. It's so unbelievable, it's faith. There's just no other way around it. It's a faith thing. Megan? Yeah. It is, and that's what we have to keep remembering. To, to God, it's nothing. And it goes back to what we said at the beginning of the uh, enemy that is so innumerable, as many as the sand on the seashore. God doesn't care if it's one five-foot-tall person versus ten billion five-foot-tall people. I mean, to God, it's nothing. That's the beauty of it. Kathy? Yeah, I, I've heard that, that, um, that there was supposed to, if I remember correctly, there's another passage here, and it may be in Chronicles, where it talks about Goliath of Goth having you know, uh, brothers. And uh, actually, once again, if you read out the history books here, especially in uh, Samuel and also, I believe, in Chronicles, David's men still fights other giants. They were still around in David's time there, too. And, you know, that's the thing about a giant. Um, giants keep getting back up. And sometimes if you defeat one giant, another giant just takes its place. You know, until we're home with Christ and in the in the bounds of heaven, we're going to be fighting things left and right. That's just the way it goes. We're in a battle. We forget that a lot. Anybody else have anything to say before we close up? Yeah, Terry. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. No, I, 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 that's, actually that's a question that I, I think a lot of people would wonder. And I, I would be the type of guy that if I was crossing the Red Sea, I'd want to go over and stick my hand just to see, um, personal opinion. My, but I really do believe at that time, it, I believe the Israelites were probably so overwhelmed with what was happening, they said, let's just get from point A to point B. It reminds me a lot of times in the Bible when someone meets an angel... Almost every response in the Bible when someone meets an angel is what? They fall down and faint. <laughs> you know, when you, are, when you meet the immense power of God, I, I think our only reaction sometimes is, I can't handle this. So my personal opinion is, Terry, is if I was standing there and I saw the army of the Egyptians coming behind me and I all of a sudden saw the Red Sea part, I would say, I just want to get across as quick as I possibly can. Now, maybe I'm weak in my faith, but that's just my personal opinion. So, Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, um, we don't know what everybody's facing tonight, but if there's someone here tonight just overwhelmed, just overwhelmed with so many things in life, um, Lord, I just pray that uh, they would realize it doesn't matter how many the enemy are, that you're still there with them. And it doesn't matter their horses, their chariots, their weapons, Lord. We may be outgunned, we may be outmanned, but you're with us, Lord. And what else do we need? Thank you for that. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that is facing one huge giant, just a problem, Lord, show them that just through the faith of a young shepherd boy, just the, the battle is there and the battle can be won in you. And then, Lord, if that giant gets back up again, help us to fight it down again in you. And Lord, help us to take the sword of the Spirit and just take the head off of that giant, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless and safe travels on the way home.